You're listening to Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast raising the bar at workplaces everywhere. Workplace Perspective is a regular podcast series for employers and employees focusing on education, training, and the law to help organizations of all sizes develop and maintain successful workplace relationships. The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective are their own and should not be considered legal advice. And now, here's your host, Teresa McQueen. Thank you, James, and welcome everyone to Workplace Perspective, where we are striving to raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Today, we're talking with author and HR professional, Adria Horn. Adria is also a Lieutenant Colonel in the U.S. Army Reserve and an Army veteran who has served five overseas tours, giving her a truly unique perspective on the Great Resignation. I can't wait for our conversation. It's going to be a great show. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Workplace Perspective has a new website. Visit us at www.workplaceperspective.com. Check out our new look, including our featured guests and archive sections. Share us with your friends and colleagues to help us continue to raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Welcome back to our listeners and welcome to Workplace Perspective, Adria Horn. Hey, Teresa, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, before we get started, why don't you tell our listeners a bit more about you and what you do? <laughs> thank you. So, um, as you said, uh, I am an HR professional. I'm currently the Executive Vice President of Workforce for a company called Pilsen Technology Management. We are a services company and we are expanding broadband infrastructure across America. Um, so we have a, a hyperscaling model dealing with lots of employees and labor market issues for sure. Uh, additionally, um, I've been in the Army for um, over 21 years now. I spent uh, 11 years on active duty. I graduated from West Point in June of 2001 when there wasn't a whole lot happening in the world. And in September, everything changed. So my current entire um, active duty career <clears throat> was really um, was really solidified by the September 11th attacks, and I ended up in a short period of time feeling like I was gone every other year, um, and had a lot of opportunities to uh, to go away and come back from some pretty intense experiences. And so then I left. Uh, I left active duty, stayed in the reserves. I'm currently a, a professor for the Command and General Staff Officers College for majors who are seeking their next promotion. I live on a farm in Maine. I've got two kids, great husband, and uh, otherwise life is pretty good. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for your sacrifices on behalf of thank you. our country. I find it interesting. So uh, this great resignation, I've been doing a lot of research and I found all these statistics. So there's one statistic that says um, from the U.S. Uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics that says 4.7 million Americans quit their jobs in 2021. And then it went on to talk about that they expect that trend to continue and possibly surpass because as of March of this year, 2022, already 4.5 million quit their jobs in that month alone. So I just baffled, as is everybody else, about why, what's going on. There's so many theories. There's the theory that, and I don't subscribe to any of these. I'm as curious as everyone else as to why it's happening. But this idea that oh, people just don't want to work or they want to live on 
COVID, um, you know, government assistance, even though that's been run out for a really long time now. Um, and then I, well, and then the other idea, you know, oh, people have they've gone back to school, they've moved in with mom and dads, all these different theories, and none of it really resonated with me. I thought, yeah, maybe it just doesn't seem like it makes a lot of sense. And then I ran across this great article. The title caught my eye because it was titled, A Military Veteran Knows Why Your Employees Are Leaving Their Jobs, right? So I started reading this and I thought that is the most reasonable explanation I have heard yet. And one that I would be willing to subscribe to because it made a lot of sense to me. So I cannot wait for you to share your perspective with our listeners. So why don't we start with you telling us how that article came about? Yeah, thank you. So um, I'm really happy to hear that it resonated with you. I've heard a lot of um, very similar feedback from people. <clears throat> so um, make me feel validated for sure. Um, so I was like you reading all of these articles. I mean, my LinkedIn feed was article after article with, you know, experts who have never been through a pandemic, um, who, you know, are now sort of theorizing what all the, the reasons why could be for this incredible disruption in the labor market. And I just thought to myself, it was probably January uh, 2021, um, you know, we were completely remote, we had essential workers in the field, we were still managing, um, you know, broadband infrastructure deployment, because in COVID, everybody needed it because everyone was home. So it was really um, a challenging time. <clears throat> And I just felt like I was sitting here at my desk thinking, man, I felt like this before. When did I feel like this? What am I feeling right now? And I felt as if I had been deployed and I was on my way back and I was nervous and excited and worried. And I had this transition ahead of me. And then I got home and everything that I had done while I was deployed was purposeful, intense, directional, you know, with people who were in it, it was like, the, the other things don't matter. The nonsense doesn't matter. You're focused and you're moving forward and you're excited to go home and then you come home and it's different. You, in your mind for, you know, the year of a deployment, I know what it looked like. I know what I'm expecting. What I last saw when I left was the memory I have when I get home. And when I get home, it's different. The people are different. Somebody has moved. The furniture is different. Um, you know, my dog is or isn't connected to me. You know, there's just so many different things. And I thought, how interesting, you know, at this point, and I was reading this article, you know, your employees are leaving all of a sudden this theory from, you know, very bright people who do lots of think tank work. And the, the, the thesis was employers have no idea what their employees want anymore. And I said, how is it possible that I as an HR professional and have had serious crisis management have gone through incredibly difficult experiences? How could I have, <clears throat> how could I have managed so well to keep people safe during this time frame? And now all of a sudden they're leaving and it's my fault. How could those things be connected so quickly? Like that is just ridiculous to even think that you can connect them because all of a sudden employers are the, are the bad guy. And what happened when you return from a deployment is that hyper-focus and that alignment goes away and the normal stuff starts to come back in. So now you, uh, now, you know, for the military, you can't have your hands in your pockets anymore. You can't sort of be dressed down and sort of your mission gear. You've got to tighten everything back up. 
And that felt a lot like, okay, you've been home and you've been working. It's fine. Now get back to the office because you haven't been working enough and we're going to monitor you again. It (laughs) felt like punitive after coming out of this incredibly traumatic experience that were like, instead of high-fiving and celebrating, like, look what we did. What do we learn? It's like, okay, now we're just going to go back to that other thing because we don't like this anymore and you're not a good worker. And so that control, that change was no longer in the employee's hands and flexibility that they had, that they managed through, that worked was now no longer trusted. And when you have so much grief, so much trauma, so much change that's out of your control, there is absolutely a breaking point that humans go through. And when you learn it in a sustained environment after a year of being at home, now you're going to go back to this. I don't have to do this. I don't want to do this. I'm going to think about my life differently now. I I really got connected with my kids in a way I didn't think I could. I don't want to be exposed to workplace germs like I was. I don't want to get back on the road. I don't actually like what I'm doing anymore. Right. There's like a life moment. And I think that 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 exodus that we saw was people breaking free, wanting to take control back again, and didn't know how to say it and couldn't say it. It it was all about work. It was all about labor. It was all about employment. It wasn't about actually going through a life-changing experience. I, it's amazing. I just, I, the thought process is just really makes, again, it just resonates with me and it just really, really makes sense. And there's so much in there that I want to pull out some threads and talk about, but let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to pull on some of those threads. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The average time a resume spends on an HR manager's desk is seven seconds, and most of them are tossed aside. Now imagine if one of those resumes belonged to Yasmin, who was living in a shelter, juggling three jobs. I had to be resilient. That's something that you can't teach. Or if that resume was from someone who worked 12-hour shifts at the recycling company with my dad, who's 72. That taught me a work ethic that I carry with me every day. We rely so much on a resume, yet it could never tell the full story of someone Growing up where I did, a lot of things could have gotten in the way of my goals. But I learned to push through, and that's what I bring to work every day. So maybe it's time we look beyond the resume and look to grads of life. Discover new ways to develop great talent that are so much more than what's on paper at gradsoflife.org. A public service announcement brought to you by Grads of Life and the Ad Council. If you enjoyed today's show, do this. Share us. Like us. Give us a review on your favorite podcast app. It means a lot to us, and it ensures more people tune in and raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Welcome back, everyone. We're talking with Adria Horn about her unique perspective on the Great Resignation. So, Adria, so many things that you said. I want to go back and like pull on some of these threads. One of them is this idea you were talking about the focus. Um, the And if I understand you correctly, you're, you're sort of comparing the focus of being in that combat situation 
to uh, on a much lesser scale, but being in the pandemic, being focused on pandemic things. And I think back to the very that March shutdown and we were, you know, how are you going to get groceries? Once you got your groceries, it was there was a whole process that people started in with their lives, all these different things that were so focused on, okay. We're going to, you know, packages get delivered. They have to be in the garage for a day and then they get washed down and then they come in that house and the groceries have to be washed down and everybody's got it. If you go outside, you got to strip in the garage before you come in the house, change your clothes. I mean, it was so super focused. And then the fear that was all around that as well of the unknown and are we going to get it? Is, do we have any protection? All these things. That's kind of what you're talking about, right? That yeah, we, yeah. Because all that other yeah. stuff, like didn't, didn't matter. matter anymore. Didn't matter. We went immediately to survival. Right. No, no more commute. Who cares? Nope. No yeah. more, you know, yeah. No toilet paper, just right. buy napkins. It doesn't matter. Just buy napkins. Right. right. You quickly in the moment, that is crisis thinking at the survival mechanism that, that we typically don't have to do. And we did it then for a prolonged period. Right. And then I do think the other thing you said that I really resonated with is the idea that during that time period, so while we're dealing with these, you know, the situation many of us have not dealt with before pandemic related issues, being at home, homeschooling kids, having to be, you know, some people around their spouses 24 seven when they weren't used to it. Um, and sometimes that went well, sometimes that didn't. And all those interpersonal things that came out of that, good and bad. I mean, I remember being very upset. My husband went back to work very quickly um, after the initial shutdown. And we had worked together before years ago uh, in our young, before we were married. And so we knew how to work together. And I loved what we had created. This you know, it was our, this is, you know, this is life now, right? So we had more time together. I got up, we went and did our jobs. We had lunch together. We could walk the dog on our break. You know, I loved, I was so sad when he went back to sad and scared when he went back to work. Um, But we, that goes back to that reprioritizing your life. Yes. That, you know, that people have, like very quickly got into the new, new routines and the good things that came with that and figured out how to handle the bad things. There's also, um, there's also a military, um, you know, parallel to the intensity of the relationship in the high fear anxiety uh, environment. There's a lot of, you know, transition um, research that's done about, you know, military, like really stick to their battle buddies. They miss the camaraderie they have. When you have that super intense moment, you get really connected to those who are around you. And so for a lot of us who went home, we got super connected to our families again, and we didn't have become super connected to our employers and our coworkers again. We became more isolated from them. You might see something very similar now and certainly in the, um, in the future with uh, medical staff, those who are in an emergency room, those who are in the wards who had, you know, 20 hour days, you might find serious post-traumatic stress from those hyper moments that they really bonded. You may have some parallels there as well. Yeah, really amazing. And I think the other thing that is interesting out of all that, I think as well, is the grief aspect. Yeah. 
And I, I remember a while, we did a show a while ago on grief and I thought grief in the workplace, we can talk about grief in the workplace. You know, I mean, how many people have colleagues that die in the workplace? I mean, yes, it happens, but you know, I thought, well, we'll go for it. It'll be an interesting show. It was an amazing show because it wasn't really about that. It was about, and it really resonated with the pandemic issues. It was about grieving for things that happen in your job. Like for a lot of people, their jobs changed completely with the pandemic. Um, you know, if, for example, you know, your job had anything to do with um, sporting events or concerts or, you know, all of that, it's just gone. Just anything social. Anything. Yeah. Completely gone. And this, this idea about grieving for the loss of that aspect of your job or grieving for your job being gone in general for those who couldn't work remotely. Um, but that grieving process and you relate that to coming, mm-hmm. I, I would imagine, I'm tell me, is there, there's gotta be that when you come home from deployment, that grieving on both ends, almost right. The grieving for what's different at home, what you've lost during that time period and grieving for that really close camaraderie that, you know, that. How could I possibly miss this thing that I wanted to lose so badly? <laughs> And like, I can't even say that out loud. I'm like, I can't even acknowledge that I actually would rather be deployed again. And it's all about change. That transition is a journey. It doesn't happen overnight. And we're not good about acknowledging that the change takes time and that we're in the middle of it while it's happening. And that everyone else around us is going through it at exactly the same time. That's what's so unique, I think, about the Great Resignation. You know, there's that sort of common wisdom. 75% of employees don't leave their company, they leave their bosses, right? Guess what? Your boss was not his his or her best self. And your boss's boss was not his or her best self. Every single person went through this and had micro grief, that sort of this accumulation of changes that they didn't really know how to process or identify, and also real grief. Like we had unprecedented real grief. Um, I remember telling a team once when we had one of our first in-person team meetings, I talked about grief and I said, I just want you to really understand that, you know, the, the be your best self at work. You should be able to come here and be your best self. And I'm like, well, you should be able to come here right now and for like the next 20 years and actually not be your best self because that's what's coming to work. We have people who lost entire families. Wow. Like entire families. I mean, I, I think in one quarter, we spent $10,000 on flowers that we were sending out. And nobody, nobody shows up to their Zoom meeting. It's like, oh, hey, just want to let you know I have more death in my family, right? Yeah. But it comes out in showing up late, being frustrated, not wanting to be on camera, you know, taking time more time off, unexplained absences. It shows up everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The the idea about how it's showing up in the workplace, you touched on that a little bit as well. This idea that the feeling, the feeling from the employer's perspective seems to be like, why are we, what happened? Well, you know, where, why we didn't change what happened? What, you know, we're the same company. We're a, you know, we're a hundred year old company. We're a 25 year company. 
we're still the same company. What happened? What's wrong? And this talk a little bit about this conflict between it's not really what it seems. Right. If I'm understanding a, you correctly. That's like, exactly right. Yeah. yeah, no, you're you're correct. We actually have a um a very inarticulate phrase for it on the company. We call it the thing is not the thing. So when anyone comes to you, just know that there's another thing there and you gotta you're gonna have to be a little patient to get to it. There's what I'm coming to you about, and then there's what I really need from you. And those are not the same. Um, and it's very hard for, it's hard for us to advocate for ourselves. It's hard for us to identify what we want. And so when it shows up in the workplace, it shows up as, like you said, this complete dichotomy now between a company that still provides carpeting, like the business hasn't changed what they do and how they perform hasn't changed, but the entire workforce that supports it has changed. How does the business look at an entirely changed workforce that is almost hyper-individualized now and doesn't know it when we, you know, in HR and policy and employment law, we look for the things that we can do all the same because then you're treating everyone fairly. But we actually now have a workforce that needs super tailored, individualized um, care and doesn't know how to show up at work and be able to work and know that separately they may need care. So I think there's like people generally who never needed counseling before or never, you know, sort of considered themselves the book may actually need this and may not know it. And sometimes they just need to be heard in order to find out what's really going on and separate it from work. You have to know what the thing is and not just answer the work question. So when it comes to you, you know, I really want to raise, okay, you've been here for six months. Um, you're still in a probationary period. But nothing has actually changed. What is going on? Well, it's probably right now inflation. I had to take somebody else in in my house. I'm, I feel like I'm working harder, but I'm not actually producing more, um, right? So the difference between what's really happening and what they're experiencing is where we as HR professionals need to almost find a way to put on a little bit of a social worker psychology cap and help people become more self-aware about what they're feeling and how it's not the company's fault. The company actually didn't change. You changed. Right. And having that acknowledgement and that understanding. Well, your insight, I I love it. It's been amazing. We're out of time. I'm so sad because there's so many other things I want to talk about. But as we sort of wrap up, do you have any tips, any cautionary tales, words of wisdom or thoughts for the future for our listeners? Yeah, I think for, for HR professionals, I would say to check yourself. Like we got a lot of the brunt of this. We processed lots of bereavement lead. We saw lots of people leave. We saw all of this. And when you're the one who receives it, it also affects you in a different way. So I would say you are not immune uh, in different ways. Take care of yourself and your self-care because you have a lot of other people to also take care of. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for being on the show today and sharing your perspective. I appreciate it. Thank you. 
You can connect with Adria via our website at workplaceperspective.com. I want to also thank our listeners, my radio angels, James and the Nave at Night, and Workplace Perspectives team extraordinaire, our engineer and producer, Paul Roberts, our associate producer, Melissa DeLacy, with music provided by the very talented Stephen Versaloni. Thank you all for joining us on Workplace Perspective. And until next time, keep raising the bar.